Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mikesell. Well, this morning, as we continue in our series, Following Jesus is Life, Thinking about the good news of Jesus' life, we come to a portion of the Gospel of Mark that reflects on a portion of all of our lives that is there whether we would like it or not. And that is that there is good news even when we are afraid. Do you ever get afraid? It's a silly question, isn't it? Fear is a part of our lives from the time that we were very small until wherever age we are today. Some of those fears may have changed a bit when you're really little. It's fear of the dark or fear of what might be under your bed or something of that nature. As you were a a teenager and a young adult, there might be fears about what will be the next stage of your life, whether you're going to be able to get the person to go out on a date with you that you want or whether you're going to get that part in a school play or all those kinds of things. And as we become adults, some of those fears become translated into our relationship with our kids or our grandchildren. And all of those times, uh, bigger kinds of life issues like illnesses and the things that we see on the news and world events and things like what we saw this week in Ukraine that can create fear and being afraid as part of our lives and as part of our world. Fear is a part of life, a part that many of us, I think, would prefer would be eliminated. And yet, fear is a reality. And as we come today to this continuation of our study in the Gospel of Mark. We come to two very interesting incidents in Jesus's life in which fear is expressed. And yet, even though they both include fear, they kind of come at fear from two different directions. In the one hand, there is fear because it appears that Jesus is not going to intervene, is not going to be at work. And because he is not working, the disciples are afraid. And that's followed up by an account in which Jesus does intervene. And in fact, it's precisely because he intervenes that there's fear that is elicited. Sometimes we're afraid when it looks like Jesus isn't going to intervene. Sometimes we're afraid when it seems like he is nudging us along to be a part of the ways that he is at work in our world. And we're going to look at both of those forms of fear, both of those ways in which we are invited to trust in God, trust in the direction and the leadership of God in the midst of the reality of fear in our world. Now, the first of these two incidences today involves Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has just completed a a series of teaching events. It was a long day, a long series of days, and his disciples and Jesus are in a boat at the edge of the lake. And at the end of that day of teaching, Jesus decides that he and his followers need to make their way across to the other side of that lake. Presumably, we would think as we hear that, that it's to get some rest and to get away from the crowds, but that would soon be interrupted. And we're going to read about that beginning in Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35, we read this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. 
And they woke him up and they said to him, Teacher, do, not, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke up. He rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Have you ever been in a situation like those disciples found themselves? Jesus, what are you doing? Our world is crashing around us. We're about to die and you're sleeping? Don't you care about us? Aren't you concerned about our safety, about the situation that we're facing? The, the disciples were nervous wrecks. These veterans of the water faced one of the most dramatic storms in their lifetime. And it was fear that was surrounding them as they, as they went in the face of that storm. They didn't know what to do. And in some respects, it might have been their experience in the water may have made the, the situation worse because they knew what to do when a storm came. You, you rode a little harder. Maybe you did some, made some changes with the mast on your boat. You, you worked through it. But they had been through storms before and they had made them through because they, they were experienced on the sea. They knew what to do. But on this particular night, on this particular evening, as the storm hit, it wasn't like any of the storms that they had faced before. And for all of their rowing, for all of the work that they did trying to get themselves through that storm, it wasn't getting them anywhere. In fact, they were only getting closer and closer to the reality that their lives were going to end. Even the most experienced among them couldn't handle this storm. What were they to do? Amazingly, as we read this account, they're reminded that they really didn't have to do anything at that moment other than to recognize who it was that was with them in that boat. The point of Jesus' response was that he was there. They didn't need to row their way. They didn't need to get themselves out of that storm. They needed to recognize that in their boat was the one who had created the world, who had all the power to stop what was happening around them, and that they could trust in Jesus at that time. Jesus didn't respond to the situation with despair. He instead was asleep in the boat. All the disciples needed to do at that time, Jesus said to them, was to reach out and to find the hope and the help and the comfort that Jesus had. With his few words, the storm ended and everything was safe because Jesus was in control. What seemed to be the biggest problem that Jesus had was not so much that, that they were able to get through this storm, what seems to be a bigger question for Jesus was, why did they have so much fear when the storm was still going on? It's relatively easy once the storm has stopped to not be afraid. But how, do you, how did they not have a sense of Jesus' presence with them even in the midst of that storm? They were afraid when they didn't think that Jesus was going to respond. But Jesus was with them even when the storm raged. And as we all look at our lives, as we recognize the storms that are happening in our lives and in our world, some of those things are small, some of those things are enormous. What is happening that makes us feel out of control? Does it seem so often that Jesus has forgotten about us? That Jesus is sleeping while the storms of life revolve all around us? We, we can understand that internal conflict of the disciples because there are so many situations in our own lives where we also 
face this time where we, it feels like Jesus is asleep. Has Jesus forgotten us? Amazingly, too often in those times, our response to those apparent delays of God can be much like those disciples. We, we try to figure out the situation, don't we? We try to work our way through it in our own strength. We find to find the best experts to solve the problem before even reaching out in God's direction for the help and the strength that God offers and provides. Yet even at our best, even at our best, our best efforts are woefully short on solving the circumstances of our lives. Jesus invites us, invites us to remember and to recognize his power, to trust in him even in the midst of those storms around us. There's, there's a comfort and a promise in that because it reminds us that while Jesus was asleep in that boat, Jesus was still in control of what was happening around those disciples. But that kind of raises in many of our minds a, a series of questions. If it's true that Jesus has the power to control the wind and the waves or whatever the storms might be that we're facing, then why does it seem like they're continuing? Why does it seem like they're happening even though he is with us? Either Jesus is too weak to do anything about them, we think, or he's too uncaring to, to make a difference. And yet Jesus reminds us, as he reminded his followers in this passage, that he does have the power. In just a moment, he stood and he stopped the wind and the waves. And he really did care about his disciples. Even in the midst of the storm being around them, he was with them. He was in their midst. And it reminds us of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 46 that says this. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. Remember, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. This reminds us that the miracle is not that God will always take away the storm, though he has the power to do so. The true miracle in this storm was that God was with the disciples and that God is with us in that storm to guide us through the storm and to be with us at the end of that storm. Sometimes it means that he, with a word, causes that turmoil to cease. And sometimes it's an invitation to be reminded that his presence is near day by day by day. The disciples they exhibited fear when they thought Jesus wasn't going to help them. They allowed the surrounding environment to push them away from Jesus. But here's the thing. Even after Jesus calmed that storm, they were still perplexed. Now their, their faith shifted from concern for the unknown to concern for what they had seen. Does, does Jesus really have this power? And how do we respond to someone who is in control of the universe, the one who could Stop the winds and the waves with his mere words. That fear of the power is highlighted in this next portion of Scripture of Mark as well. And it's a, it's a shift a bit in focus because in this earlier example, like we said, the fear that the disciples faced was when they didn't think that Jesus was going to intervene. But there's also sometimes a fear when we begin to see God to work in the circumstances of our lives and world. 
when we begin to recognize that, that he invites us to join him in whatever that work might be. And sometimes that means taking a step in a direction that we're not sure about, that we're not comfortable with, that, that elicits in us a sense of fear. That's what happens in the beginning part of chapter 5. This is the events that happened after Jesus and his followers made their way through that night and eventually ended up landing on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Their boats and their occupants finally made it across. And when they got to the other side, they met a man whose body was controlled by an evil spirit. It was so bad that he was forced to live out amongst the tombs away from all the other people. The townspeople had tried all sorts of ways to control him. They had put chains around him. They had tried other, other kinds of, of difficult circumstances. But in all of them, he broke the chains and he got away and there was just nothing that they could do. It was a scene that was almost impossible for us to imagine. But it's clearly a description of a man in an extreme need of help. And that's what we pick up here in Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. We read this. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned by the sea. The swine herds ran off and told it to the city and in the country. Then people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and they saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion. And they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused. And he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown to you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Now, this is a, a remarkable and a, and a fairly intricate story of interaction between Jesus and this demoniac. There are a lot of details that, that we aren't going to have an opportunity to, to dig into today and encourage you in your, in your small groups this week to really ask some of those questions. But what I want for us to really focus on here today is the response of these townspeople after this amazing miracle happened. This was indeed, apparently, it should have been, a day of incredible celebration. Here was a man whose life had been so upside down that he could not even be amongst any of the people. And yet Jesus had come into his world, into his life, and he had set the wrong right. He had helped this man get back into his normal state of mind. And there he sat, in his right mind, clothed and able to get back into functioning in the society. You would think that when the townspeople heard of that news and when they made their way out to see this man, you would think that it would create a great day of celebration, a day in which they could celebrate and highlight this incredible act of 
compassion on Jesus' part, and this miraculously setting things right uh, in this man's life. But in this case, in this case, we don't see that at all. Instead of celebrating, it says that the townspeople were afraid, and they began to push Jesus away, began to beg him to leave their area. Now, at a, at a close look of the word that's used there for, for fear, it's a slightly different word than was used about the disciples when they were on in the boat on, on the sea. It has a, a little bit more of the a meaning of, of reverence and awe that we might see in this kind of notion of fear. But even with that, even with that, it drove these townspeople, instead of recognizing the greatness of Jesus, and instead of looking at this as an opportunity to, to, to serve him and to worship him and to follow after him, these people allowed their, their fear of the situation, their fear of what Jesus had done, to actually push Jesus away. Why would the townspeople respond like that? Why would it be that in the midst of what should have been a day of rejoicing and of celebration, that they would beg Jesus to leave them and to let them alone? One suggestion is that they had, they had tried to tame this man in chains and had been in isolation for a long time. And their best efforts had been to no avail. The best that they could do was to kind of work around him and to kind of marginalize him. No simple human power could possibly fix what was wrong in this man's life. But Jesus, Jesus had only made a difference. He had set his life in a different direction. He had set him free. He had helped this man find freedom from the, the demons that had been in him. And if Jesus had that kind of power, then Clearly, it must require something of them, something of worship, of obedience, and of a response, of respect. But see, they couldn't control this power. They couldn't work around Jesus. They could only respond to him with worth, worship and with worthiness and respect. And apparently, that was too much for them to handle or to control. In their fear, they pushed Jesus away. Right when we see Jesus doing an amazing thing, instead of following along and following the path that Jesus had for them, instead, they allowed their fear to push Jesus at arm's length. And sometimes, you know, we may not have quite the same dramatic experience the way that these individuals had with this healed demoniac, but sometimes in our lives, we can begin to see Jesus working and we can begin to sometimes put up some roadblocks to that. You know, sometimes we might recognize that God has given us a gift or a talent or giving us some resources that he's inviting us to use for his work and to advance his kingdom. Sometimes it might be something like working with children. You may have some abilities with children, but you think, I don't know enough to help out in Sunday school, or I don't know enough to help out with our teenagers and, and help in those kinds of ministries. And you begin to kind of put up some barriers and put up some walls to where it is that God is leading. In many respects, that's kind of what these individuals here were doing. They saw the difference that Jesus was beginning to make. And in the midst of that, instead of going along with the path that, that Jesus was setting before them, they became afraid and they turned away. Instead of that, instead of that, Jesus is inviting them and is inviting us. When we find these times of fear, these times of being afraid, Instead of pushing Jesus away, we're invited to trust. We're invited to 
trust in the love and the reliability of our Savior, to recognize that Jesus is at work even when it doesn't appear that he is, and when he does engage in those circumstances of our lives, when he nudges us to take that step of faith, he also goes with us in the midst of that. Calling us to trust is an easy thing to say, but it's much more difficult to do when we're actually facing those storms in our world, when we're actually facing those times and circumstances where it feels like Jesus isn't with us. How is it that we can develop that kind of trust? How is it that we can get through those dark times when we're not sure which way God is moving? One of the ways that we can get through today and tomorrow is by recognizing the ways that Jesus has provided in yesterday and the days before. Sometimes by taking a step back and being able to record and recount those ways that we have seen God work in the past, it gives us the confidence and the assurance to know that the same God who was with us yesterday is with us today and is with us tomorrow. Sometimes in the midst of going through those things, we can blur them over and we need to take the time to, to thank God or maybe to bring someone else who's close to us into that situation and to invite them to help us to see the ways that God is at work. At other times, at other times, this, those situations can become so overwhelming that the only thing we can do is to respond to God in prayer and to cry out to God and say, God, I don't know what to do. Much like the disciples who didn't know which way to turn. God, I don't know which way to turn, but I trust and I pray to you. In a little while, in the several chapters, in Mark chapter 9, we're going to come to a place, one of these kinds of prayers, from a father who desperately desires to set his son free. And yet, in the midst of his desire, he wasn't sure that he had enough faith. And so he cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. Sometimes in the midst of those storms, sometimes when the world is going around us in ways that we don't understand, sometimes the only way that we can respond is to say, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. When was the last time that you were afraid? When was the time in your life when you felt those kinds of fears? Jesus reminds us he is with us, that he is there to guide us and to direct us, that he is there to give us peace and comfort, even in the midst of some of those trying situations. As I was reflecting on this passage this week, I was drawn back to some of my own experiences over the last 15 years or so. There have been many times during those seasons when I've felt that fear. 15 years ago, in February of 2007, I was serving as the pastor of a small Wesleyan church in Lidditz. My wife and I had lived in that community for about eight and a half years, and we, as our family had grown, Matthew and Allie came into our lives, and it became increasingly clear that the time there was, was soon going to come to an end. But what was next? Where would we go? What doors would be opened? If, if you've ever been through those periods of time like that, you know that there is definitely fear involved. And now with the hindsight of 15 years, again, 15 years, it's amazing to see how God has opened and closed doors, guiding my family and me to where we are today. If you had told me in February of 2007 that I would be standing here as a co-pastor of Paoli Presbyterian Church in 2022, I would have said there's no way that that could happen. And yet, I can see the ways that God has been at work. 
from submitting my resignation in Littis before I had a definite next call to being hired as an associate pastor in Willow Grove only to have that position eliminated in a little over a year due to budget constraints to five months of uncertainty working in a horrendous job in a call center to being part, hired as a part-time administrator here in Paoli that was cobbled together with another part-time job in another church for a year and a half to being moved into a full-time weekday non-pastoral position here to them being going through the process of transferring ministry credentials and becoming an associate pastor here in Paoli to learning of Jeff Conway's need to move out of his role as senior pastor and being invited to join Becca's co-pastor a little more than three years ago. You, you know, when you recount something like that in, in a list that takes a minute, a minute and a half, it sounds so nice and neat and tidy, doesn't it? It sounds like it all just at a snap of a finger, it all came together, like much of what we read about in Scripture. But I can guarantee you, living through those last 15 years, it was not nearly as nice and neat and tidy as what that kind of recounting can give. There were long stretches of time when it seemed like the doors weren't going to open, when God wasn't at work, when it seemed like Jesus was asleep on the cushion. Those four months in a call center seemed like forever. Those times when we were piecing together different, different jobs and, and, and weren't sure whether, you know, how the insurance was going to come together and all those kinds of things, they were difficult times. But here's the thing. Through those situations, through those circumstances of life, and you all have your own stories of the ways that you've seen God work like that, it's a reminder that God is faithful. In the midst of our fears, in the midst of when it seems like Jesus isn't there, and in the midst of time when it seems like Jesus is nudging us to take that uncertain next step, God is present. And the reason that I recount that is that it's even more important than being able to recount what happened in the past. The reason we need to do that is because recounting what God has done in the past gives us a trust in God for the inevitable times of uncertainty that will come in our present and in our future. You know, when it's Wednesday or Thursday, and I'm preaching that Sunday, and the sermon hasn't quite come together yet, I can guarantee you that those levels of anxiety are growing higher and higher. No one wants to stand up, and, and no preacher wants to stand up and be, uh, become a fool when they aren't prepared for what they're doing. But I want to tell you this as well. The same God who's been with me and called me to this place is with me in the midst of that process. And the same God who was with you yesterday and last month and last year is with you in the, the frightful circumstances that you face today and tomorrow and the next week. The message of this passage, the good news that Jesus has to speak to us today, is a message for us at those times when we are afraid, when we don't know which way to turn, when it seems like Jesus has left us and is asleep on that mat. Instead, Jesus is very much with us. Whether he is calming the storm or whether the storm is still raging, he invites us to find that comfort, to find that help, to find that strength that he alone can give. Here's the thing. I think that all of us would prefer to go through the storms of life asleep in the stern of the boat like Jesus. But far too often we find ourselves at exactly the opposite place. Like those disciples, fighting against it with all that we have. Jesus invites us to recognize the good news that when we are afraid, he is there. Whether the storms stop 
or whether the storms keep raging, Jesus loves us, he's with us, and he is guiding us in the midst.